everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer, and I make tabletop RPGs as one half of Wannabe Games. Mixing it up a little bit with my intro <laughs> when I forget to say something, and I'm going to throw it over to my co-host, Craig. Hello, Craig. Hi, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I make games as well. And we are here with a returning guest, Jason. Hello. Hello. My name is Jason Petr, uh, president of Genesis of Legend Publishing Incorporated. That's still weird. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I also make games and occasional podcasts and other things. Uh, it's a long list at this point. <laughs> Isn't that what we all do? We all do a lot of different stuff as game designers you may know me from such things as the rpg <laughs> design panel cast <laughs> yes that voice at the front of all those uh, yeah that's jason so we have a topic today that is near and dear to my heart as someone as someone who is poor <laughs> craig we talk about game design topics we talk about jamming topics what's our gming topic for today Oh, GMing on a budget. Oftentimes, not always, but you know, it it can be very easy for the GM to spend more time on the game, to uh, to have more responsibility, and sometimes have to spend you know more money as well. And you know, I think if if it strikes any of us, uh, we can we didn't we didn't really specify budgeting money. It could be budgeting your time too. Like if you're going to taking on the, the res- responsibilities of GMing. And um, your time is at a premium. That might be something to think about too. But let's talk about certainly the money side of things because GMing can potentially become more expensive than just you know being a player where you're like, I've got my player's handbook and my set of dice and I'm ready to go. Yeah. If you had asked me 15 years ago, like what's your budget for GMing? I would have looked at you like you had three heads. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean <laughs> money spending on... <laughs> And then I'd be like, oh, I guess I had to buy the books and dice. But now there are games that you can play without buying a book or without buying dice. And you can just play those. However, now as an adult, there are things that I buy specifically for my GMing. I have subscription services as a GM. Like it's my Netflix budget. I don't know where. I don't know how I got here. Help. Um, uh, no, I, <laughs> the, the answer is 2020. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Turns out you kind of need to buy subscription services when you're trying to run games online due to a global pandemic. Yeah. Running games online, paradoxically, is more expensive than running them in person. Like making it digital, it has, like, I bought, what was, I tried Roll20. I tried the Roll20 premium for a while, which is fine. Um, but then I ended up switching over to, what's it called? The Forge, Forge and Foundry, that virtual tabletop, which I thought was like so, so helpful. It was a sub- subscription service, right? You had to pay a certain amount to like be a GM on it, although players could use it for free. And then from there, it just got worse. I was like buying modules and buying packs to add to, for my maps. And I was getting all of this stuff and it ended up becoming like my gym membership. Even when I stopped playing that online game, I was still like running my subscription and still like paying <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten $10 a month for whatever I was subscribed to. 
And then on top of that, like the Patreon people that I've subscribed to so I could convert things to one, one from the other or buy, buy modules from them or to support them. I spent a lot of money on gaming (laughs) during the (laughs) pandemic. Well, it's, as as gamers in general, it's very easy to slip slip into collector mode in a lot of different ways. And uh, even if you didn't play with a lot of minis back in the day, like um, you know, I I played with a, a few different game groups who have had like the GM spent a significant amount of money on minis, yeah, and all the way back to like you know pewter and lead minis up to the the plastic and vinyl stuff that you get now in packs, and you can get you know like. I've got I've got a friend right down here in Atlanta who has like his mini collection is wow like it's he's buying like these big you know plastic bin drawer organizer things and he's got like seven of them that are like three drawers high and oh (laughs) but here's you know on the upside when we're fighting the most esoteric out of the way never never see it in a game monster in D, you know, in a D and D game, he's got the mini for it, so we can <laughs> visualize exactly. Like you create a character, he's got a mini that's probably pretty close to what you're thinking your character looks like. But um, yeah, like with with digital stuff, it gets the same way. And you know, I I think the, maybe the first rule of the budget is like being aware of what your what's what subscriptions you've got, what things that are going automatically that are kind of in the background that you never think about and, and giving some thought to like when you're buying stuff that you collect, like if you're collecting every game book from a, from a game line that, you know, puts out a lot of books, Pathfinder, D and D world of darkness stuff, you know, are you uh, in the society that we live in now and with the ease of online purchasing, like that they they make it really easy for you. Like you've got all your information, your shipping information, your payment information stored, and all you got to do is press the button to put it in your cart yes. and the button to purchase and ship. Yep, and it's done, and it's very easy for that to get out of control. So I think you know the the first rule of jamming on a budget is probably mindfulness and being really aware of what you're doing. So my online system of choice is uh, Roll the uh, app.playroll.com. And there's a couple reasons for it. One, as a game designer, you can make your own character sheets with a lot of functionality very easily. Uh, I appreciate Roll20 for what it does, but it's challenging. Uh, You need some heavy-duty HTML uh, and CSS skills to be able to make it a functional character sheet. Whereas you can, I've done character sheets for playtests for games on roll and it's free Mm. and it's very intuitive. Uh, And more importantly, uh, one of the, they have a flagship game called Chrome, uh, which is entirely free and it's all presented on their site. So that there's plenty of play materials and whatnot that you can just get. So uh, there's a lot of potential there for uh, being able to access stuff for free and play some free games. We're drowning in amazing free games out there. And this is doubly so for uh, community copies. Yeah, A lot of uh, indie designers and publishers uh, on itch.io will have a number of community copies in place 
which are if you are ex experiencing poverty or financial hardship, get a copy. Here you go. Here's the button. And they're usually subsidized by people who are paying full price or more for the games. So there's people who are actively working to make games more accessible uh, for people who, you know, have to pay for their rent and eat at least uh, a pack of ramen a day. So that's usually a good option. The other thing that I wish people did more often is, hey, players, I will run any game for you. And I will run it with whatever materials you want. Players, you buy me the thing you want me to use. <laughs> I've done this. Yeah, and that's how I've gotten a lot of, like, if, I've, if I'm running a D&D &D campaign and, like, I'll get it for my birthday. Like, one of my players would be like, oh, here, here you go. Or just give it to me. I'm like, oh, thank you. Or when I was in college, <laughs> people just gave me stuff all the time anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> I want to play this cool prestige class. What book is it in? I don't have that book. Mm -hmm. Oh, magically, I now have that book. Yeah. It's funny how that works. And you can also get stuff for running. If you're running games at a local game store, sometimes they will incentivize you to do that. I mean, a lot of, they're not going to pay you for your time a lot of the times, but often they'll give you, at least in my experience, they'll give you materials too to run or even be like, oh, you have a store credit now because you ran this game. Thanks. Because you're bringing people into our store. Um, so there are, there are ways that you can get free product i guess <laughs> um while also you know doing like one of those services to the community i will say if you are getting a community copy be sure to shout out the creator and do what you can to like spread the word for them too because if you're not giving them your money same thing for free games or like the pay what you want you say my what i want to pay is zero at least like the least you can do is recommend the game to somebody else that's the least you could do and uh it's like saying thank you to the gift that your player has given you um also like i i like that you brought up some of the free features that roll app has i haven't used it before but even even in those like premium apps where you do pay money for them there are usually like free versions of them you don't have to like, is it really necessary for you to break the bank? The answer is going to be no. Is it necessary for you to break the bank and buy like the really cool dragon icon? Or can you do with the basic one? Does it need to, do you need the mini of not just the displacer beast, but also the displacer kittens? No. Could you maybe just print out a token? Or could you use like a generic monster marker for that? Could you use the toilet paper roll that's sitting <laughs> next to your table to mark where the monster is. Like, it doesn't have to be, we're playing a game, we're playing games that are, for the most part, within our imaginations, and our imaginations can do a lot of work. We don't need a lot of, like, bells and whistles to make a game work or to make a game really good. When I was growing up playing, playing role-playing games, we didn't have maps, we didn't use minis, the only thing we had was a book and dice, and it worked, and it was like, super fun and it got me really engaged you don't need to really spend any money at depending all depending on the game i will make exceptions if you want to play fourth at D, D, you need a map that's true you do 
It's pretty. You can have a, a paper stand-up mini, but you need a map. Yeah, they're very particular about how things move in that game, at least for combat. Yeah. Unless you're going to heavily modify things, or you're like really good at imagination. Well, yeah. It, it yeah, it's it becomes against the it's the question of time versus money. Like if you don't have the if you don't have the money or don't want to spend the money on a bunch of resources to do maps and mini kind of stuff. Like you can sit down with the players and brainstorm out ways to kind of deal with some of the tactical stuff and say, well, this is how we're going to fudge this. This is how we're going to house rule that so that we can do this all kind of, you know, in our minds and not have to have a bunch of stuff on the table and, uh, you know, just spend the time to kind of do that and maybe, you know, occasionally tweak it and, you know, kind of consider it to be under play test and recognize that it, you know, you might need to change because you didn't come up with quite the right house rule some games that are highly tactical and map oriented to begin with might be harder to shift into that mode, but Hey, we're, we're, we're gamers, right? We're all super creative. Like we'll, we'll you, you can, you can figure out a way that'll be satisfactory that will do the job for you. Um, it's just a matter of putting a little time into, you know, figuring out how to get, how to, how to ch- excise that little chunk of the game and turn it into something else. Uh, another thing is, if you are a uh, busy GM slash DM looking for dungeon maps, mm-hmm. Dyson Logos has everything you need. <laughs> Just Google Dyson, D-Y-S-O-N, Logos, L-O-G-O-S, and you will be able to find an incredible number of free maps that you can use. Oh, yeah. There are all sorts of free maps out there. And then you can also make your own. Like, if you get the drone images that people take of landscapes, you can make maps out of those. Just, here's my map of a bridge, or here's a cliff. Uh, And then, like, people design them and share things for free. Again, if you're getting stuff for free, you should shout out the people that you're using. Do that. Do the nice thing. Is it is Dyson Logos? Is it like an aggregation site, or do they share? Uh, it's like it's they, all, they make so Dyson himself, the guy, makes all of the maps. It's his full time job. He's done freelance work for D anD D and another number of people, and he has a Patreon. Uh, so uh, what he does is his Patreon means that he releases maps for uh, commercial use. Hmm. Uh, okay. And he publicly releases them. So there's a ton, like hundreds of maps that you can just download and print. And they're all very well done. Like he's he's done this for a while. So uh, it, whenever I run a D&D style game, I, like, I just grab that because it's incredibly useful. I, I feel like a lot of this stuff is things that we think of as a GM, like this is our responsibility to provide the maps, to provide this blah, 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 blah. There's no really, really, there's no real reason that you can't or shouldn't pool your money and resources together with your whole gaming group, just in general anyway. Um, How, what are some sources if you wanted to splurge on on a map or you want to splurge on some minis but you want to also keep the mystery alive and you don't want your players to know how would you go about doing something like that staying on the budget sharing your budget but also keeping the players in the dark a little bit what i would do uh personally is i would say hey in order to keep this game going well uh let's have a pizza fund 
and everyone, you know, if you can toss in five bucks for the game, we'll grab, we'll pull the money, we'll use it to buy pizza and secret GMing things so that, you know, in three sessions, you might actually be slaying an actual dragon mini. <laughs> I love the idea of like a collection plate passed yeah. around at the end of a D&D session. So funny. Alms for Pelor, alms for Pelor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could, I mean, you could even automate it. I mean, you could, you could like do a thing where you've got it kind of just set up and you remind people and they like, you know, dump something like here's a couple bucks into your PayPal or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you, and there's, there's cheap, you know, cheaper in, or, or free ways to, to automate that as well. Like, I mean, you could literally like if, like if, if it's going to be transferred through a service, there's going to be like that service is going to take their their cut. Yeah. So unless they're going to hand you cash, like um, so if if you're in person and you can do cash, that's great. If you're um remote or or you wanted just the convenience of being able to do something online, you just do it. You know, like I could literally, you know, for for zero dollars, you could have a Mailchimp account and you could send out an, an email that's the same email every time and it's just a link to your, you know, a, a reminder. Hey, everybody, five bucks for for jamming for jamming stuff. And then, um, and you could go the reverse route, Jason, which is not like, well, we'll buy pizza for everybody. And then whatever's left over, we'll put into the slush fund. You could say like, you know, everybody throw in, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks or whatever for, for, for this month. And, you know, so, and, uh, and you as the GM, you might use that to buy like a book. And then you've got a few bucks left over, like at some point, maybe then you, you turn that back around. It's like, you've like some of that money didn't get spent. You know, you didn't spend all the money that they kind of helped you out with. Um, and now you treat everybody to 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 pizza or if if you're all scotch drinkers, like you bring a bottle of scotch or, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. the thing is. Right. Um, um, I, I was so going at the culmination of a, of a story arc or at the end of the campaign or something like that. And you can just take like, yeah. OK, well, thank you for everybody doing all this. Now, I, I saved up one hundred and twenty dollars that I didn't spend from everything that you contributed. And so now tonight for the culmination, you know, here we got this and this and this. And like, let's let's make a big blowout shindig out of this. I, I was going with the pizza fund because there is already a social contract in place of we are going to have food we will yeah. contribute towards paying for the food. And if everyone over contributes a bit, then that's a nice painless way that already aligns up with people's expectations. Sure. And you, and you bring it up in such a way too. Like if you, if you know your group, if you know the people, like, you know, there might be one or two people in the group that overpaying is not really an option, but other people in the group where it is an option. So, uh, be- Or there might be people in the group who cannot pay for pizza and they get to have pizza yeah because fair enough we we right. all know how these things work I, <laughs> I i can't afford five bucks this month okay have food you're still getting pizza you're still getting pizza <laughs> yeah it's it's nice for people just to be able to you know sit around and and enjoy each other's company and that that can be enough i i don't feel like it's it's kind of weird to me like a I've never been like the kind of person who needs to be paid for the, like the meal. Like I'm fine. I'm in a, I'm in a place where I'm comfortable buying people pizza or buying dinner for people. And I I feel like if you're in a game group, like you have that, like you said, it is that social contract. Like you're contributing to this fun time. Everyone wants you to be there. So it wouldn't really be fair to, 
exclude anybody. I think that that would be a trap to avoid if you are asking for monetary contributions to your game or to pizza night or to whatever, to not be like super anal about it, I guess. Oh, 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 yeah, be, no. be, uh, be understanding of everybody's yeah. situation. Because you, even if everything is good for you right now, like, you know, like stuff can turn on a dime. Like you could suddenly have a, an illness or, or a personal emergency or something. And you could find yourself in dire straits and be like, well, I, I just don't have the money to blow into this thing or the other thing or whatever. I mean, the way that I handle it is uh, because there's those kinds of donation situations. I will frequently, Oh, I'm buying the pizza for the group because I'm in it. I am currently in a very comfortable place. I'm just going to buy the pizza for the group. So long as the, and I have social cover. So long as there's a, does anyone want to pitch in? Right. I think though, like just in general, GMing in a budget, I think you can, you can get away with a budget of $0. There's like, there are free games. You can, you don't have to buy any books. There are free games out there. As long as you have an internet connection, which I guess is a budget, but you can go to a library and print stuff out. You can find stuff online for free. You can, you, you, and if you need maps, you can print out maps, you can print out little tokens. It's the, there are even online dice rollers. You don't even have to go out and buy dice. They all exist. And your library, like the library is such why didn't I bring this up before? The library is such a good resource for all this free stuff too. There are there are role-playing books in your local library. There will be, there are. And some libraries even rent out supplies like board games and dice and other like materials, crafting materials, tools. If you want to make like a really cool castle for all of your, you want to make a dollhouse for your D&D game. You can rent tools. I mean, the materials you can't rent out because those are consumable, but there are resources out there in the community and it's so important to contribute back to those as well. Uh, Whether it's, again, saying thank you for a free resource and shouting out or going back and tipping when you can or making sure that you are supporting uh, local policies that promote your public library. Those are all like so so important to do um if you are if you are taking advantage of those resources but yeah i i I went years before i spent money on a on gming i even borrowed books from people i never and dice i it it took a while before i started buying my own stuff because i grew up really poor i was not going to be able to buy a 35 dollar book wasn't going to happen when i was a kid um and another uh hot budget tip if you want a game from an indie publisher, it's often very effective to say to ask them, hey, how many demo games would you like me to run at local conventions in exchange for a free book? There is I a give, number that if I you give tell books me. Out, yeah, I give books out like that all the time. Yeah. All the time. I'm happy just I, I giving books. out a book. You're gonna you're gonna take my you're gonna run my game two times a convention at like two local conventions. Okay, here's the book. Have at. Yeah, because from a shipping paid mercenary publisher perspective, that is a worthwhile investment for me. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm if anyone emailed me asking like I can't afford your book, can I have it? I'm gonna say yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
the difference is, uh, I can't afford the book. Can I have it? Have a PDF. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to run it at a bunch of conventions. What's your mailing address? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and you know, hey, hey, uh, here, here you go. And you know, just give us a shout on social media. Tell everybody yeah. that you played the game. Boom. It's mar- it's mark mar- it's marketing money spent by the by the designer. That's worth so much more to me, just emotionally and practically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it makes me so happy when someone's like, "I really want to run this," but oh yeah, <laughs> like oh yes, yes, please, please take my stuff, take my PDF. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I yeah, I I worry, not like a big worry, but we have a lot of people who come into gaming watching very highly produced actual plays or like seeing this really cool stuff that people do and thinking like that is what you have to do in order to play TTRPGs. Like you have to do voices and you have to have a cosplay. Yes. You don't, you don't have to do any of that. People used to hide in their basements so their parents wouldn't think that they were saint worshippers and play very quietly with just a book and some dice. You you could do that. It's fine. <laughs> uh, what about uh, I'm making it. I'm I'm designing a tabletop role playing game where you play tabletop role playing games, and I really want an economy system in there to, <laughs> to make it happen. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. It's just that our next topic for our game design side is uh, designing economic mechanics into your game <laughs> well done jess we, we call jess lady segway yes <laughs> she can uh she can segue anything into anything yeah two wheels and a handle <laughs> it's, a, it's it's an insight it's an insight it's, it's a kind of a running gag with the two of us anyway yeah. we actually we're um, gonna win the any award for best segue <laughs> best segue <laughs> at least the silver oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How do you do it? This is like last last conversation we had was about designing magic systems. And I feel like eco- economics is just magic with paper, <laughs> money, and coins. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all different types of math. So there's a bunch of stuff to talk about there. Uh, first of which, though, uh, for the show notes, I'd like to uh, point out a delightful panel that we had at Metatopia, uh, which was uh, the, thousand, the uh, 100 gold piece pearl. Uh, where a bunch of us were talking explicitly about economics as game mechanics and tools. Uh, the basic, it came from a post from Multiplexer, which was the identify spell in D&D requires use of a pearl worth exactly 100, uh, or at least 100 gold pieces. This means that there's going to become, you're using up pearls, so there's going to be scarcity. <laughs> so the um, size of pearl that is worth 100 gold pieces continually shrinks. <laughs> because there's fewer pearls and they're valuable for identify spells. So suddenly yeah. you're going with really tiny pearls and there's this desperate pearl industry because y- you need to be going through pearls of this value and meanwhile someone who's just like really good at non-magical identification is just raking Woo-hoo! in the bucks <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> really being cut through 
Uh, and then, then you'll see the bubble burst. And I don't understand economics. So I just say things, but I think that that's how that would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that. I love the idea that tying the component to a monetary value and it being a magical spell. That is so, <laughs> that's, that's so funny. And if you think about it in a real life, practical sense that's very D D of them oh it's very D, &D <laughs> but i like the fact that there's conservation of value in that i want to do magic i need to literally vaporize money that's how we stop inflation yeah well we break into a dungeon get money and then magically transform gold into fireballs yeah now there's less money floating around but where does the money go Fireballs. Yeah, but does the pearl just disappear from the yes. world? Yes. Supposedly, yeah. You crush it up and you drink it and you poop it out. <laughs> it's that's part of the spell. You crush up the the pearl in 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 the drink, and then so which, which ultimately means you it becomes waste. Um. So yes, yeah, so you are constantly diminishing the number of pearls in the world. So like the clam farmers and breeders of the world are gonna be exactly rolling in it. No, it and it's gonna be, it's gonna be cutthroat. There's gonna be guilds built around uh, like yeah controlling the clam industry. And you know what's going on there? The clam industry <laughs> sponsors adventurers to go and break into old dungeons full of mysterious magic items that need to be to identified. identify them yep here we go forced that's amazing uh, <laughs> right so that the adventure so that the adventurers go in there and they they use the pearls to identify stuff that uses up pearls and that makes uh that the first pearl is free drives demand up yeah i'm i'm very like i'm i'm taking some mental notes because my the what game, happens in, in dd when inflation hits yeah it means of magic like corporations send you out on random missions and quests to usually for their own ulterior purposes i love the idea of like you going out and doing this amazing quest you find out wow oh, it was big clam all along who <laughs> set us out on here <laughs> yeah big, big clam, by big clam. oh boy uh um. i <laughs> i think really like when, when it comes to designing these economic systems i think you should ask whether or not it's necessary for your game i don't feel like every game needs money in a real sort of mechanical sense if it does if it matters yeah it, it matters then then maybe add it but if i'm playing a game and it, it's about fighting eldritch horrible monsters and uh, me using my powers to do it with my friends and trying to save the world does it matter that I can scrounge up the however many dollars it takes to buy a cool knife? Probably not. Does it matter if I, like, can I, like, maybe the GM will say, like, yeah, this really expensive silver-coated knife blessed by a priest, maybe that would cost some, some money, but does it, does it matter where I'm getting my money to stay in the hotel for the night? Probably not. I don't think we need to be like all that granular, but there are games where it does does matter where that money is coming from, where is it going? So I think in a game like D&D where the purpose of the game is to go out and go get treasure, like that is what the game is. That's you, what it yeah, has been. Early yeah. versions early versions of D&D, &D, you progressed your character through experience also 
by money. Like every right. gold piece was worth experience. So the game has kind of always been built around the idea of amassing wealth. But, you know, like the, the game that you're designing it is, is money important. Right. Um, like I went with capers. Um, I didn't do an economic system of like tracking like your relative wealth and all that. It just like, it was just like, okay, stuff costed money. And here's, here's two pages that lists like all the stuff, you know, what everything costs. And it was only there for two reasons because it had, it, it, it played into what your character can do in more or less no way. Like your character has superpowers. And as soon as you've got a Tommy gun and, and, and I beams, you're good to go. Right. Right. Um, and you can fly. But like it had all this stuff in there that you could purchase because it did that did a number of things. One, it set the tone of the world because it's like, oh, a suit of, you know, like a nice suit cost five dollars that tell you like that puts you in the world of the 1920s. And it also like because gangsters got ridiculously wealthy, even though I don't really have there's no magic items or things like that, items of power to spend your money on. I have the whole list of like, you know, this is how much it would cost to like open a club. This is how much it would cost to like have a whole like 10 story hotel that's yours. That's where you run your business from. So if you want to have your capers campaign build to the point of like, well, the characters now like own this club. Well, they built it from the ground up themselves. And that's what it, this is what it cost. And then you just, and you charge people like, and say, well, you've got staff. So you're paying, you know, $200 a month to your, to your staff. And as long as you're, and, and, but, but that's just to be like, because it's like in the game, it's fun to be like a gangster who gets rich off of like doing gangster stuff. Um, but it otherwise it's, it's otherwise immaterial to like the progressive progression of characters. It, it It's really just world and like a little bit of cool factor. I love the idea of we broke into this bank and stole $12,000. Yeah. Victory. <laughs> you are set for life. Yes. <laughs> I, I think if you wanted to like for the design aspect of that, a good way to um, make your characters like make the players think about their money and what they're doing and how they're spending it and really make this idea of the resources and wealth you have tied to a real life kind of economic system is make them pay bills at the end of every session. Okay, well, here's the set amount of money that you have and here are the expenses incurred. Like you could even have... <laughs> Like, okay, well, you have to go meet up with the accountant now. And okay, well, here's what you get. Like, that would be fun for something like a like a gumshoe detective type, right? Like, yeah, you, like you're struggling to keep the yeah. office open under hard times and you're living in the seedy part of town. I love that actually. I want to write that down. Um, um so- like and like you have to pay your rent for your office and you know you're only gonna get 50 bucks for this job. But now right. you have to like pay this person <laughs> off. You have to pay them $10 so you can, and then maybe you bill the $10, the expenses paid. Like, I don't know. It'd be really, <laughs> it'd be really so, fun to try. Right. But is, that's a, that's a game that earns that. Right. Like, yeah. There's a game I want to highlight and shout out to because it does this brilliantly. Uh, Flying Circus by Erica Ch- Chapel, uh, Newsstand Press. The concept is that you are all effectively uh, pilots uh, going from town to town, solving problem. Okay, getting (laughs) getting money and blowing it all uh, so you can party because you're all irresponsible 20-somethings. And uh, the way that it's set up is 
Uh, there's two currencies, thalers, which are uh, like dinner plate sized gold coins with gems in them. And then there's scrip, which is everything from paper bills to bottle caps, depending on where you're at. And whenever you spend money for most things, you're just spending scrip. And then you roll a number of dice at the end of the session to determine how much, how many thalers your script actually is equivalent to. So I'm buying drinks for everyone. If you're lucky on the die roll, it's free. You don't have to spend real money for it. Or you might discover that you actually racked up a really big bar tab and you have to skip out of town because you can't <laughs> afford it. <laughs> so because it's unpredictable and it's like quantum debt, you just never know until the bill comes due. It's delightful. Quantum debt. <laughs> quantum debt. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's Schr Schrodinger's bill. That's a good way to do it. That way you're not like... It's no fun, really, to... No one wants to manage a budget on their free time. Okay, there's probably someone who does. That's not me. I feel like a lot of people consider that a chore. But money is a good... Like, uh, like introducing like those money mechanics is a good way to introduce limits to what your characters can and cannot do in a way that limits them way more, I feel like, than their powers and their, their superhero stuff. Like, okay, yeah, you're a superhero and you can do all this really cool stuff. And yeah, sure, you saved New York, but you are in jail and you do need to post bail. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to show your face here again because people will be after you, you'll be wanted. Uh, okay, so how are you gonna do that? Like when it matters, it can hit so well. Especially when the super villain comes in and posts your bail. Oh gosh, yes. And then you owe the villain some money. You're like, <laughs> oh, terrible. Uh, oh, don't worry, I just need a small favor for you. I, I think that that's, it's a fun way to play around with the setting. But again, it doesn't really work for everything. Does it really matter for every kind of game? No. Like, Craig, I'm thinking about in uh, in Code Warriors, you you can spend your, your juice to get stuff, but your juice is also useful for literally powering your character's body and, and doing things. And it matters. It, like, it felt like it mattered if I was buying something. Like, this could save me yeah. some juice in the long run, but... I have to spend it now. And it was kind of scary to do uh, that. Like having it tied into the setting matters. And it was, it was built that the idea, you know, you're playing computer programs in a, in a computer world, the computer's crashing. So everything's falling apart. And as you progress, you go through different collapse phases. And every time you hit a new collapse phase, your maximum juice decreases. So you don't have as much availability to power your cool abilities that require juice or purchase things with juice and so it's an economic system that was designed to push you to the barter system yeah because you're you're going to want to keep the juice that you do have to be able to use your two or three cool abilities that need it so you'll start trading for for gear later in the apocalypse that's kind of similar to what we did with moonpunk like you would think that in a game that's all about the capitalist structures which oppress you would have more of a like an economic system involved i we didn't really want to do that because we didn't want the players to engage with capitalism within the game so we have 
Cam Stoffel instead, which we stole wholesale from Robert Heinlein uh, because Moon is the harsh mistress. But we made the mechanic in the game for a barter system where you're trading favors for favors and how big of the return might matter depending on how well you roll. And then they can trade that favor. You owe this person, but they owe somebody else. So now you owe that other person. Um, It doesn't have to necessarily be cash money or gold coins or platinum or whatever. It doesn't have to be that. It can be something like the juice that powers us all or the, uh, you know, the, the, the favors you do for other people. It doesn't have to right. be dollar and you bills. Can, you can abstract it too. Um, D20 Modern for, for its failures, you know, it, it has things that are like, eh, I don't know. But it also, like, it recognized that, like, it's a modern day game and people are going to think about modern day and they're going to think about money. And, you know, and it, to, keep, to keep the game from turning into D20 Modern, the accounting, um, and just tracking dollar dollars and cents all the time. They have a they had a system that was you had a wealth score, so like how rich your character was was it was enumerated. You had a number that declared that that hit that, and you would make when you need if you need to 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 buy just anything that's going to fall like under your wealth score that's cheap that your wealth score could cover. You can just buy it. You've got the money. Boom, done. Where you know you don't have to track a bunch of money. But if you want to buy something that's more expensive, like if it's a little bit more expensive or a lot more expensive, made a difference because you'd have to make a wealth check to see if you could afford the thing. And if you, if you, you might be able to afford the thing, but then you've now strapped yourself, like you've called in favors, you've taken out a loan, or you've sold something, and it was all abstracted into numbers. Um, and so you could just play that out, like, well, okay, I made my wealth check, but it mean, means that oh, my character you know, like sold his comic book collection, or you know. <laughs> which is going to make them very sad. And they're going to be striving to get that back at some point when they can afford it again. Um, because now my wealth score has gone down because I, I sold, I had to use some of the capital that I had in order to make this extravagant purchase or this bribe or whatever it was that you needed to do, which I, I like as uh, as a driver, like Jess was saying, a driver of like, it's not just like, can you afford it or not, but it becomes part of the story. Like you create a challenge, like, okay, well, what, what can we do to swing this? Well, I'm going to roll this D20 and I get one roll and like, what can we do to kind of make this as good of a possible check as, you know, like I can get all my bonuses, whatever I can do. I'm going to make the check and like, I'm still going to, you know, like you, you still end up rolling a three and, you know, now your wealth score goes down by two. And now you can't afford the fancy apartment that your character is living <laughs> in anymore. Um, yeah. so, so you can do all sorts of interesting things that aren't just uh, just keeping a running total. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to a game of economics and economic horror, uh, mm-hmm. Red Markets by Caleb Stokes, because it is beautifully designed to highlight the poverty spiral. So you are all folks who have to go into the zombie-infested wasteland and get things like deeds to property or uh, proof that some that a zombie has been destroyed for life insurance purposes. And you have to use this, negotiate how much money you're getting paid, use this to maintain your gear, because using your gun to shoot a zombie means that you've used up some of your bullets and you have to pay for those. You have to pay for your health insurance and to, if you want to be able to get a medevac uh, out of the wastelands. So it's all designed to show the brutal slog of poverty and how 
the entire system is designed to chew you up and spit you out. Getting strong moon punk vibes uh, out of that. So it can also stop a bullet. The book uh, is rather large. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love a game that does put some thought into how the, the economic systems come into play. If it is especially about a, a book about that kind of business oppression and whatever, it matters a lot if you were trying to make like a thematic point in general. So, but it's also like, it's difficult. Cause again, I, in real life, I guess like, like I understand what the theory is, but it's not, if I were running an ideal society is not something that I would have at all. So <laughs> designing one in it, making myself feel like, oh yes, this is, yes, this is how my, my players are going to interact. It, it's, it feels like a lot of work to manage how do you know if your system of economics works in your game play test play test play test (laughs) (laughs) um i mean and and you can you know play test with it in mind because it's it's easy if you've got a you know any if you're designing a game that has a lot of different systems to it a lot of different pieces a lot of different things going on and there's a reason that the more complex games take longer to play test and have like larger play test rounds and you know, big, you know more groups and everything because they've just got more stuff to look at so if you know as long as you take the time to play test and and make that economic system a part of what it is you're doing um, don't just be like, okay, your characters have all the gear you need and off you go to go, you know, do this thing that's going to test the combat rules or it's going to test the skill checks or it's going to test, you know, the magic or superpowers or whatever. Um, like do something that's going to push, that's going to push people to to use that economic system. If the economic system is an important part of the game and it's not just a flavorful thing, like it kind of is in capers. Like I never really talked about money. When I was playtesting play any of the Capers books, it was always just like, well, you start, I, I gave them like starting money and it's like buy your equipment. And I always gave them enough to be able to get a good gun. And like, and I, and I, and I would tell people, and if somebody in the group wants to have a car, they can have a car because, you know, I'm, I don't want the adventure to be about like, well, how did you get to the other side of the city? <laughs> did you have cab fare? No, you got a car, you drove over there. And like, that's where the playtest needs to be. Um, but yeah, just, you know, put the, put it through the, Put it through the paces, or you can also kind of there's with certain types of, and, and this is this is true with any you know mechanical any any mathematical system at all. You can kind of put it through your paces on your own too. Like you can you do thought experiments and and then like crunch numbers and see like okay if I assume everybody's going to start with this much of this and th- you know this currency and it you know the the game is kind of built to make sure that they get this much at this rate like what's that going to allow them to do in five levels or in 10 sessions or whatever like what what is the baseline of that and then the you know and then the the caveat in the gm section is to talk about how like you know you can ramp the money down or ramp the money up as necessary to make sure your stories can do what you want them to do if you want the characters eking out things monetarily you know make that happen but you can get a baseline just from crunching it kind of thoughtfully yourself with with um and i and i've done that with with math stuff too i've thought about like okay if i'm going to gain and i've done it with you know character points and with you know just different things like if i gain these things at this speed what where's this going to put everybody in 10 game sessions or 20 game sessions 
Um, but playtesting um, is very useful too, because you know players are going to find stuff that you might not have thought of. Any other thoughts? Can I uh, pull in a little bit of theory, specifically uh, currency as a term is used more broadly from a game design theory perspective than folks necessarily think. Currency is any thing that is exchanged, uh, passing information. This can be uh, social status, stress, reputation, access. There's a lot of things that can be economics uh, without it being dollars. So I will routinely say, look, I'm going to calculate how the stress mechanic works for this. And these are the things that make me gain stress. These are the things that like let me remove stress. And these are th uh, making sure that I'm managing my stress is my motivator. Mm. So fundamentally, what you're looking at is what are the motivators during play? Those are currencies. And therefore, those currencies can have economies. If you want a Cthulhu horror game uh, where desperate hope is important and vital to the game, hope is your currency. You are going to be doing things to get to increase your hope and trying to save your hope as much as possible. And that will shape your gameplay. Um, so we can look past, yet, I mean, our current world is very much a capitalist hellscape where the only uh, currency that matters to us is cash money because oh, you kind Bitcoin. of need. Yeah, yes. <laughs> sorry, I just, I just hurt you. I, I'm sorry I, I caused you psychic I, damage. Uh, <laughs> which plummeted to 19,000 recently. Uh, respect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. um there, there, I would argue that there are a few other currencies in the world. Well, the that reason are, why I'm saying money is currency yeah. is the yeah. only currency that matters is because money also equals health. It's true in the U.S. particularly. Sure. So yeah, yeah. Also, it's voice and democracy. But fame is also a currency. Like there, there. Yes, but you can buy that with money. Yeah, but you can become famous without it. There are people who are super famous that don't that aren't multimillionaires. That's true. Yes, yes, theoretically. And so by being famous, you don't need money because people will give you things. Right. I and, and so I'm just I'm just saying, like you could build a game where that's oh, like yeah, yeah. a, a driving a driving force is like fame. Like you, oh, if you absolutely. have a certain level of fame, you can do these things. But if you do something that pisses off enough people that they stop paying attention to you, now your fame has gone down because you don't have enough eyes on you. People aren't as interested in what you have to say. You don't have the uh, you know you don't have the sway that you once did. Okay, a game where you all play celebrity <laughs> influencer vampires. And you have to build your your. Hold it, hold it, hold it. To be clear, are we vampires who feed on celebrity influencers? No, you are vampires and also celebrity influencers, gotcha. or at least gotcha. celebrity okay. I'm on board. I'm on like board. celebrity wannabe influencers. <laughs> and you are trying to build your multi billion not billion dollar empire, so you can have a comfortable life into eternity. And you have your three currencies. You have your health. Like the blood that you drink, mm -hmm. I guess. I guess vampires don't give away blood, but 
you have your fame and then you have your actual currency. You can use any of those three to propel yourself forward in society. Just like in real <laughs> life where you can pay for things in blood. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, you have to call the, the thing that you keep tracking of these three currencies in is your bank. Oh, yes. <laughs> so your blood bank, your money bank, and your pain you bank. go. Blood yeah. bank. Yeah. You're not so many uh, influencers anymore. You're bankers. I'm changing it. I'm getting rid um, of fame. <laughs> so the other the other question is: Are you uh, blood drinking vampires, or are you celebrity drinking vampires? Are you like attention vampires and emotional vampires who are like the oh. more people like me, the more people I can drink their energy from? <laughs> or can you drain the fame from other or, people? <laughs> or you are not a vampire. You are a normal human. Everyone else that you're trying to get in good with are vampires. Yes. And you're and then, and then they're drinking you, and that is your currency. Like, ah man, I really like this dress, but I have no money in the bank. Then, so, so here you go. <laughs> so is this is this literally a uh the bank quote unquote bankers are people who can trade between these three do exchanges between these three currencies yeah so it's like have- i'm going to get, sacrifice my health for fame you could have like some sort of mechanic that changes the exchange rate yep okay well <laughs> another one for the another one for the game ideal I'm on summer break and now my brain is just very pumping full of creative energy. Like I feel energized and stuff. I'm ready to to design again. Well, I have to get through. So, so we need to, you can sacrifice your energy in exchange for money. Sometimes, sometimes the exchange rate is poor. That's true. (laughs) Are there any games like before we close out, are there any other games that have a particularly good economic system that people should look at? For ideas? Because you mentioned Red Markets. You mentioned Flying Circus. Uh, we talked about Code Warriors. We talked about modern, Keepers. Keepers, just, you know, that style of not of, of econ- economy mostly being a cool factor. Um, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I yeah, think it's, it's, you know, just reiterating the idea that it's it's useful to to think about, like, how economy, how, how the economics of your currency or currencies are part of the game system and part of the world and and build something that does that. And if they don't need to be something that you crunch numbers on or make checks on, then maybe they don't need to be. Or, or you can you can look at like you might have two two currencies where one of them is complex and requires checks and constant maintenance of the score. Um, and then another one where it's just like, oh, I've just got this pool of points and I will every so often I spend a point to do this thing. And at some point I'm going to kind of be low on those points. So then I need to do things so that I can get more of those points. Um, Torchbearer is particularly good on the economic side. Effectively, you can spend currency to try to help increase your wealth, but you don't start with any wealth. So you have to go and break into a dungeon to steal treasure because then that uh, will let you temporarily try to claw your way up the wealth ladder, but you've got limited stuff that you can carry. So you have to like, I'm going to abandon my bow because I need to carry this very large golden dinner plate. (laughs) So that's particularly well done. And um, an entirely selfish plug. I'm currently working on 
my game, a supplement for my game after the war called Songfall Survivors, where there's a settlement level currency in place. And effectively, there's resources that are either plentiful or scarce. If the resource is scarce, you have to spend money to avoid being threatened in these areas. So if uh, food is scarce, you've got malnutrition, and you have, and when malnutrition problems show up, you have to spend settlement money for it. So now you have to earn that settlement money by doing things like salvaging spaceships or uh, doing favors for this uh, mega corporation so that you have something to hold back the scarcities that are just punching your community. Interesting. So, I like Song that. Fall Survivors coming soon-ish, <laughs> I hope. Well, also, well, again, J- Jason, thank you for being here. This has been a fun conversation. What else do you have to plug and where can we find out more about it? You can find me at uh, genesisoflegend.com. I've got a whole bunch of games and uh, the RPG Design Panelcast. In terms of plugging things, right now, I would actually like to plug the many uh, designers from the Philippines who are currently dealing with some rough stuff and uh, check out the many uh, Filipino, Filipinex, Filipina designers um, on itch.io because uh, (laughs) every dollar of support will go a long way to help them out. Good plug. You can find me on Twitter at Ajoska. You can find my games at wannabegames.com and on DriveThruRPG and Itch under the same name. And I'm at NerdBurgerCraig on Twitter. Um, my website is NerdBurgerGames.com. The games are all on DriveThruRPG. And uh, the uh, capers, uh, like the fancy schmancy hardcover, is actually on the uh the website as well if you go to if you go to drive through rpg you're going to get the print on demand version and it costs the same amount as the really fancy schmancy version which is uh, a better uh, better book better quality book materials and all that what about the place that we can siphon our economic fortunes into your personal coffers so we can see what's going on with caper cyber oh <laughs> Yeah, that's the patreon.com slash nerdburgercraig. Um, I've got my artist working on concepting. I love concepting phase for um, a game where, like, I don't know what this world looks like. So we're going to figure that out, um, which is to say, what does a world, what does an alternate now look like when there's cyber tech mega corporations and people with superpowers? Well, thank you also for our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, released under Creative Commons. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jason. Bye.